0: This is kind of week two on the tabernacle, and so I wanted to review just really briefly what Rebecca talked about last week with the tabernacle. We kind of went um, on the inside of the tabernacle, and we'll make our way back out today, Um, but we talked about the Ark of the Covenant, and kind of the big idea from that was that God was leaving that mountain to dwell even closer to the people, and um, that's where is known as the Holy of Holies. We have the mercy seat and all of that that we studied. Um, she also talked about the table of presents, and that's where God sustains the priests as they answer the calling that they have. And she also talked about the lampstand, which was made to give light, a way toward God, and a way to of doing the work of God, if you remember that. So just a really brief review of that. This week, we studied in our homework... The curtains, the veil, the altar of um, incense—just the altar where sacrifices were given—and then the priests. And so, I'll briefly go over some of those, and then we're we're going to spend most of our time today talking about the priests. Um, So, we we first read about and kind of wrote um, in our homework about the curtains and the veil. Let me take this off. Sorry, you're going to see more skin than maybe what you want. It's okay if you don't want to turn that on. I mean, whatever you guys want to do. Um, So, the curtains and the veil made of those same colors that Rebecca talked about last week. They were made of the blue, the purple, the scarlet yarn, and the linen, and then the cherubim were worked into those details. So, it was a very detailed curtain and veil. Um, And then the altar of incense which we'll talk about a little bit later too, but that was in front of the curtain and before the Ark of the Testimony to burn before the Lord always. And um, incense has represented the prayers of the saints and communion with God. Um, And one interesting thing that I came across when I was studying was um, what the Hebrews' women's roles were in making the tabernacle. I don't know if you're... Like me, but when I picture the tabernacle being built, I don't picture women having a big role in it. I don't know why, um, but um, as I studied and listened to different people talk about it, um, it's likely that they had a huge role in putting it together. Um, if we look at in context, you know, they just come out of slavery. As they were slaves, the men probably had the, like the very heavy manual labor when they were slaves, and the women had probably the less manual labor, um, craftsmanship type of work, or the less intensive labor, which would lead us to believe that they probably had a great part in putting the tabernacle together, um, just because it fit what they had been doing, and so that was cool for me to, to kind of come across, because like I said, I didn't think of that, and so if you're like me, let's think yeah, they probably weren't just sitting on the edges watching this all happen, but they probably had a great role in it. Um, yeah, and then also let's remember the connection to Eden that I think Rebecca said it last week that this the tabernacle is kind of like a portable Eden, that the desire for God and his people to live in peace. Ultimately, Eden was designed for them to live in peace together. Um, that was broken but same desire for the Lord to live in peace with with his people and so um, that's where priests kind of come into play and their huge role in the tabernacle um, and where we will like I said spend the majority of our time this morning Um, we know kind of at this point that God's presence is with the people but um how do they get into that presence, and how do they experience that presence? So, as a Hebrew woman, how do they how do they get to that place, and how do they experience that presence of of God? Um, well, enter the priests, and so I'm going to just go through some of the um, roles and ways that the priests kind of lived their lives, which is intense <laughs> to me, but it was fun to to study and. Wow, um, we'll get into it. So first of all, they were just called to the highest moral integrity and ritualistic holiness. We read some in Exodus, but I wanted to highlight um, just one verse where it says um, that it's talking about the garments that these, the priests would wear, especially the high priests. It says, um, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor and so that's what the priest and especially the high priest role it was very dignified very honorable for these people to see which to me is like sweet sign me up who doesn't want to have a little honor and a little dignity thrown their way well I quickly changed my tune (laughs) as I continued to to learn so with that, they had to dress the part. And we kind of read through that in our homework. But I wanted us to, like, really think about what that would entail. Um, so it would have been super heavy because they had a ton of stuff to put on. Um, I don't think we read about the. Did you guys read about their underwear, the undergarments? Okay. So later on, it goes even more specific about these. They had, they called them undergarments. Um, which was also a reminder of Eden in their nakedness. You know, God sacrificed so that they could cover their nakedness. And these, these priests had to wear underwear that was like up to their waist and down basically to their thigh. So a new definition of granny panties, which I know so much about right now. Um, but it gave them cover. Like they, they didn't want any nakedness to be to be before the Lord. And so that was a big part of their garments, is to make sure that they had that that on. And then you had the robe that was made of blue cloth. They had a tunic of fine linen. They had an embroidered sash. And then the turban on their head that had a plate um, of gold that said, holy is the Lord on it. And then the breastplate and the ephod, which, um, yeah, made of pure gold, and they had blue, purple, and scarlet with fine stones on them. So if you picture, I was going to try to print off a picture so that you could kind of, I'm more of a visual person, but I could figure out how to pick, print one that made it worth it. And then I thought about trying to use the TV, and then I was like, I don't know technology very well. So you'll just have to visualize. Yes, you could YouTube it. You can um, just Google it. But it's a square, this breastplate of gold, and then there's, um, rows of stones. I think we read about the stones, right? And each stone had one of the names of Israel on it, right? And then the ephod, part of the ephod was the shoulder pads, and they had two stones on their shoulder pads, six names on one of them and six on the other, um, and then connected with a waist band or whatever. So a lot of garments, very heavy. Um, yeah, just walking around doing their thing with that would be pretty intense and I imagine in really hot because that's what I picture the environment to be and so talk about sweating anyway um so and a good connection that these are the same materials that were made to make the tabernacle especially inside the holy of holies and so you know that that's a big deal when something that is the same as where the god is dwelling is going to be put on these high, this high priest. Um, now, this, what I found was interesting, too, was this was the picture of the ideal high priest. And it was interesting that we read about the garments before we actually read about the man that would be put into those garments because who can live up to that? Like, who on earth can, can fill these garments and live up to that ideal high priest to represent... God to the people and then to take and represent the people to God. I mean, it's a both way, um, thing and yeah, his job is to trust in and have the heart and the pleasure of God for those who are his sons and daughters, for those who are his people, um, and to show and live out that God's mercy triumphs over judgment, um, so it's the weight of someone um, that I was listening to said, interesting that the names were on the shoulder, shoulders and on the heart because he carried the weight of those, God's people in his heart and on his shoulders. And just, the, just that responsibility that, that he had and that those priests had was, was pretty amazing. And so, like I said, they are to represent the people, Um, And they're also responsible for the people. And so that's um, not a coincidence. Like I said, that it was on their heart and um, in their heart and on their shoulders. And these, um, especially the first priest, Aaron and his sons, they um, were up on the mountain. If you remember Rebecca saying the 70 elders went halfway up the mountain. They saw the Shekinah glory of God. Then god called moses if those other guys would have went up they would have died because they would have been so close to that glory of god um and so they have seen that and now they're being asked like hey come on into the holy of holies let's talk like from this god that was like ah so what uh like terrifying and like such a glorious thing that they that they get to do but of both a both and they're probably like oh please don't kill me here's the sins of these people you know just such a huge responsibility um yeah and so they not only represent the people before god but they represent god to the people they show and they remind the people that god is the creator that he's holy that he's unique and set apart from evil that he's the author of life um and anything against that is sin, and that that needs to be dealt with because God cannot be. I mean, that should kind of glory. It's, it's talked about the all-consuming fire, right? That's like judgment. That's destruction, destruction. And so, if you don't deal with that, then that's that's the end end of it. That's the all-consuming fire aspect, and so that's what these hebrew women wanted and everybody wanted was to bring their sin and be covered by that so that they could experience that that holiness of god um yeah so the priests enter um um, and on behalf of those of the of the people of these hebrew women of the men um and i think it's worth noting that um Again that the the garments were made like were spoken of before the man filled the garments, and so what was the process like to be able to put on the garments? Well, it was no cup of tea. Um, I'm just going to talk about it briefly, and then we'll go into kind of more of the daily duties of the the priest. Um, they went through this consecration process, this ordination process um, and so first of all, they were washed, and it wasn't like the let me wash your feet and your hands and your head. It was like full-on major washing. And then they were robed, they were anointed, and then sacrifices were made for them. So blood was shed for them. So that entailed a bull, two rams, different kinds of food. And then as they sacrificed those animals, you can read about it. It gets pretty specific, but they're cut into, you have to save certain pieces of the animal and Burn those completely, and then get rid of these completely, and save these with the fat, and save these without the fat. And it was um, not a, It was not taken lightly. Let's we'll just say that. And the whole process took seven days, so a full week of sacrifices. And and the blood was, it's, it talked about, and sprinkle the blood on Aaron and his sons' right earlobe and their right toe, and just like super specific on how to um, consecrate these men so that they can wear these these high priests, they can become he can become this high priest and these priests that wear these garments um, and have this responsibility to these people and so um, yes that process took a while and was very um, intense and so they after they've gone through this process of becoming more holy and um, making sacrifices for them themselves, then they help the Israelites become holy so as to be in God's presence. Um, and isn't that the problem for the Hebrews? Isn't that the problem for us today? It's God's holiness versus our sin, and how do, we, how do we reconcile that? How do we get rid of that sin? How can we be in God's presence? Because, yes, God's presence is, in, a, in essence, off-limits, to those who aren't pure, right? And so um, then in Leviticus, I think is when when I was reading, it kind of talked about two different kinds of purity that they were really looking for, that God called them to. Ritual purity and moral purity. So the ritual purity was more like, if you have this skin disease, this happens. If um, you've touched mold, if you've touched dead bodies, if you... If you've ever read through that book, you're like, oh, my goodness, okay. I mean, it talks about periods and, you know, all of these things. Um, That's more along the ritual purity side. And then the um, moral purity is care for the poor. They had a high sexual integrity. They had um, a high view of social justice. And that was so that they would be seen as living differently than the Canaanites, differently than the people that were around them. And isn't that true of us to today, too? We are called to live out differently than, than what the world looks like so that people can see God and see His holiness and be drawn to that same thing for them back then. Now, what I thought was interesting also was being impure wasn't a sin itself. I mean, we're women. We have periods of, that just happens. So the fact that that happens or you touch something that you're not supposed to that wasn't sin itself it was a part of life Um, but to carry these symbols um, of death and so anything like that was was kind of a symbol of death to carry that into the presence of the Lord or to be in the presence of the Lord who God is life it's the opposite right you're carrying these symbols around of death and God is life it just can't mix it can't be be put together that's what was sin was when you you took that into the presence of the Lord so um I didn't I don't think I knew that until I was studying that which that made sense to me because I did always wonder like gosh how do you not have your period when how do they do that you know so (laughs) um so as the Hebrews recognized their sin, the priests would atone for that sin as part of their daily duties. Rebecca mentioned this last week. But what a crazy life for these priests. So let me just take you in a day um, of their life. <laughs> so they themselves were cleaned. Rebecca talked about the laver and the basin, that they would, they would be cleansed themselves. Then they would put on all those undergarments, or the garments, the undergarments, the robe, the tunic, the sash, the breast, breastplate, and the ephod. And then they would tend to the incense um, every morning and um, every morning and night. And he also tended to the lampstand, if you remember. Always keep the lamp on, that kind of thing. Always keep incense burning before the Lord. So that was just the normal duty. And then also, what was normal was that they would sacrifice two one year old lambs. So one was set to be sacrificed in the morning, and one was to be sacrificed at night at twilight. So that was just like. Hey, this is just going to happen. This is what we do every single day. I think I tend to read over until I'm studying this, like what a sacrifice entailed. And Rebecca kind of talked about it last week, like, you are slaughtering an animal. <laughs> like, ah, gross smell, sounds. Um, all of that would be really intense. And maybe you would get used to it, but ooh, um, something that and it, you know, even here, a lamb. You think about it, it's not like it's a small object, like a dove, you know, even a dove, like, I don't know, (laughs) a lamb is a lamb, you know, so that's something a little bit wild. So, yeah, that was just their normal day, and then from that point on, my understanding is that that's when the rest of the people would bring their sacrifices And that's what they would do the rest of the day is sacrifice for those more individual sins that these people would bring. And so I am married to somebody that's in full-time ministry. I've been in full-time ministry. And there are days when I'm like, I wish you weren't in full-time. Like, It's hard for you to bring this stuff home. It's hard um, for you to be taken away from us when I was expecting something different. But now I'm like, Praise the Lord! This I can handle this full-time ministry. Yes, you're not doing this. Okay, we're good. We're good. And so, that was just a side note of okay, we're this. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, and specifically that full-time ministry does not look like this
1: anymore. Um,
0: and then once a year, the priest would deal with the sins of the people that they were ignorant of, and that was known as the Day of Atonement. And that's when they would go in also to the Holy of Holies. That was the one time a year that they would go in to the Holy of Holies and make atonement there. Um, It is known today as Yom Kippur, if you've heard of that. And actually, that happened Friday evening into Saturday evening, which I was like, ha, wow. So if you have Jewish friends or... um, yeah, that it just happened a couple days ago. So, um, and it's so there are I think I read maybe six or seven, I'm thinking seven, like festivals, annual celebrations that were celebrated in the Old Testament, this being one of them. This one was more of a solemn festival. This was known as a day to humble your souls and to To reflect and to have mourning and fasting and repentance um, for these sins, most of which you're ignorant of. And so as I was thinking about that, I was like, gosh, um, these people really knew or experienced, at least on this day, um, that it was God's standard and not their own, right? And so I think how true of it. Uh, Is that of us today? How easy it is for us, I think, as women, to compare ourselves to other people, other situations, and we can either go flip, like either side. It could be, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person, you know, like I'm living it up pretty well compared to that. Or, oh crap, I'm not living up to that person's standard. I better get my act together. When really, it's God's standard of holiness that we should be. Comparing ourselves to or living up to. And I thought um, uh, of the Proverbs 16:2, it says, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And I think we hear often: you know, God looks at the heart. God looks at your heart and sees that where other people don't, can't see that. And so, As I was studying through that day of atonement, I just thought, gosh, it'd be good for me to, I mean, there's so many sins that I am probably ignorant of, to have that moment often where I see God's standard instead of setting one up for myself. Um, So that was just kind of a side note. But um, yes, this day is... um, yeah, the people would fast. It was a solemn and holy day. And so the high priest and the priests would do their normal duties of what we just talked about, cleaning and undergarments and the two lambs and that stuff. And then, in this case, Aaron, the high priest, would take off those normal garments, do another washing, um, and put on special garments only for the Holy of Holies. And so, my understanding in studying is that they were very plain compared to the normal, elaborate um, garments that they usually wrote, wore. And then they would get the necessary animals to be sacrificed. So, on the Day of Atonement, it was a bull, and that was for their own offering. Um, and then two male goats for the people's offering, and two rams one for the priest and his family, and the other for the people. And then they would slaughter the bull for their own sin offering. And I don't know, I I think I've probably been, I don't know, maybe I'm so bad with like distance, but a bull, <laughs> like, ah! Yeah. Um, even a cat, like, if you stand next to a cow, you're like, this is a large animal. And a bull is enormous to think that they, one, drag the bull into the, the tabernacle and then go through the process of slaughtering it for the high priest's sin is very intense to me. <laughs> um, and so they would, that's what they would do. They would slaughter the bull for their own offering. Then they would create this cloud of incense in the Holy of Holies um, so as to cover the mercy seat, to veil the glory of God some so that he could enter in Um as I was reading, someone compared it to, like, smoking out a beehive to get the honey. Probably a really bad comparison, but it did give me a little bit more, more of a visual. So that was a little bit helpful. But in order to dim God's presence to spare his life. And so then the priest would take the blood, some of the blood from that bowl, and sprinkle that mercy seat seven times. And then lots were cast to see which goat would be slaughtered and which goat would be Um, driven away known as the scapegoat if you've heard that phrase before um so then they would slaughter the goat that they were going to do that and then they would do the same thing that they did for the bull they would take some of the goat's blood and they would it would take they would take that into the holy of holies and they would apply it to the mercy seat and and then outside of the tent the priests would make atonement um for the altar of burnt offering using the blood of the bull and the goat also. So basically kind of a sprinkling of blood everywhere to make atonement and to be able to enter in to the holy of holies. And then that second goat, um, the, priest, the high priest would lay his hands on that, the head of that goat and the sins of the nation would be symbolically laid on that goat. And then it would be driven away from the camp to a desolate place, never to be returned. And so these two goats, they symbolized both the the di- diverting of God's wrath, the, the churchy word is the propitiation, but just that diverting God's wrath for their sins by the death of that first goat, and then the complete removal of their sins by removing like allowing that goat to just be completely removed from, from those, that place. So, um, yeah, a, a big um, event, I guess, to be seen, and even from a distance. Um, then the priest would enter the tent of meeting. He would remove those garments. He would wash, and then he would put back on his normal garments, and then they would um, make a burnt offering for the rams, one for the priest and his family, and the other for the people. And so, and then in more detail, that's Leviticus 16 and some of 17, if you want to go and read the Day of Atonement a little bit more specifically. But um, they would take parts of the goats and the or the goat that was sacrificed and part of the bull. Um, some of that would be burnt. And then the, all of the remains would be taken. If there were any remains, they would be taken outside of the camp and burned completely. Um, so... Just kind of a wild, a wild day to be able to be in God's presence, and for those priests to go in to the holy of holies. So, what does this teach the Hebrew, What did this teach the Hebrew women about God? What does it teach us about God? I kind of came, I came up with three kind of general ideas. It teaches us about God's grace, first of all, um, that God made a way for them he made a way for us to be in his presence through the blood sacrifice he could have stayed up on the mountain he could have stayed up in heaven um, but like Rebecca has said in weeks past the fact that does, that God desires to dwell with his people is such a gracious act and so I think learning about the priests, learning about their duties also shows it's his grace that He wants there to be a way for his presence to be near to his people. Um, I think the second thing that it does is it um, tells us about God's holiness. I think that's the thing that um, took me back a little bit more this week and in the last couple of weeks as I've been studying is just the seriousness of sin. Um, And... um, can kind of feel myself start to get emotional. We'll blame it on the baby. Um, but I'm just an emotional person anyway. So, um, you know, in the New Testament, Rebecca has said from John 1 that Jesus tabernacled among the people and then he gave the spirit to us to live within us. So in a sense, God tabernacles with us. And when I sat down and thought about that, I was like, oh, like these people needed to, get their ducks in a row and have their sacrifices done and, and these high priests needed to do this and like it was no like oh just check this off and then I'm good. Like that was serious and and I like do I even think about my sin? I mean that's rarely like no. I I would say that I been on maybe taking advantage of God's grace. I'm in mean, oh, Jesus covered my sins, I'm good, you know, and then just go on living when this has, like, stopped me in my tracks to be like, huh. and then they had this huge day of sins that they were ignorant of, you know, like, that they didn't even know anything of, and that's still a big deal to God, you know, and, like, what am I doing to recognize my sin a little bit more, see it in light of the gospel, and then live that much more free to um, to just be grateful and just worship God that much more, that we don't have to do this. Um, I think that was, um, yeah, that's just stopped me in my tracks, just to, to be reminded of that all-consuming fire and to be reminded of his holiness and that that, There are times when I need to have my proper place before the Lord, and that is um, bowing down. That is just, I am not worthy. And the Lord has been so gracious to give me those. I shared in our small group, maybe it was two weeks ago now, that just in church we were singing, and it it just used the words, worthy is your name. And I, I couldn't say it, like... I'm not even worthy to say your name, Lord, like, wow, thank you that you have given us Jesus so that we can, and that we can come to that throne confidently, because, man, I, and then, you know, you just start thinking, like, I am not, I'm not worthy to be able to say this, look at me, you know, and so, I'm it's never fun to be like, yes, God, show me, your, show me my sin. <laughs> I, I hate praying that prayer, because <laughs> he always does. <laughs> um, but it also allows me to get to a place of, one, seeing how holy he is, and two, being so grateful and humbled that he would create that way, that we can, can be in his presence when he is that holy. Um, And then the third thing I think that um, it teaches us about is God's will. Um, If you stop and think about specifically these priests, I think God's will is that we would be in a delightfully dependent relationship with him. That this purity can't come. We can't just do it on our own. We can't just be pure because we want to be that. It, we have to have that sacrifice, and that sacrifice was given to us by Him. And so I think um, that His will is that we would we would be dependent on Him in our relationship with Him. And then also His will is obedience. I think that's another thing that I really took away from this week is that it would be our joy to, to bring a sacrifice or to, to do that. Um, willingly and to live obediently so that we could be in his presence even more. And so, um, yeah, those three things just kind of popped out to me. So here's how we're going to, there's two different ways that we're going to kind of tie a bow on this time. Um, and hopefully, I'm not, I didn't look too far ahead for next week, but Rebecca was like, don't talk about Jesus too much because that's all next week. And I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, and she didn't say don't talk about him because how <coughs> do you not? But she's not here, so she doesn't know yeah. what we're going to talk about. So we're just going yes. <laughs> to go for it. So um, I just picked a short passage. I think we will read some of that um, today, or this coming week, but um, I'm going to, oops, not pull that one up, let's see, hopefully I can pull up the right thing, yes, I'm going to read from Hebrews 10, and I'm going to read verses 10 through 18, and then we'll kind of shed light on it a little bit, it says, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified and the holy spirit also bears witness to us for after saying this is the covenant that i will make with them for those after those days declares the lord i will put in i will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds then he adds i will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more where there is forgiveness of These, there is no longer any offering for sin. And I thought, what a perfect passage to talk about what Jesus did for us after we have studied and talked about all of these things that these priests had to go through compared to the one time sacrifice that Jesus did. Because Jesus is the high priest, He is those garments, like He came from heaven. He didn't have to be consecrated or ordained in order to put those high priestly robes on. He is that man. And so um, he bears the burdens of sins on his shoulders and in his heart. He doesn't have to wear those robes with, uh, with our names written on it. He, he does that. He did that. And now we have open access to God. We don't have to go through the process of sacrifice Anymore, And so the thing that um, kind of struck me is, okay, in what ways, and maybe we can, that this will be one of your questions in your small groups is, what ways do we try to offer sacrifices to atone for our sin today? So it might be duty. You might think, oh, I just need to follow these certain rules and I'll get on God's good side out of more obligation rather than love. Or maybe it's that you have just tried to live more morally. You kind of modify your own behavior um, apart from grace, and just think, "Oh, if I just stop doing this, then I'll be good with God. Or if I just start doing this, then I'll, then I'll be on on good, God's good side. Or do you um, do some kind of penance, maybe, where you bring a punishment upon yourself, As an outward expression of repenting for the wrong that you have done. And I was talking to Brian as I was kind of preparing this. And he made an interesting, I had to think about it for a little while, comment. And he said, um, anything outside of the cross, even something like confession, um, it's not complete and it's not right unless you come to God with the cross. So... Our only appeal to God is to look at the cross and to see and say, man, Jesus took this for me. He, he took this and he gave me those robes of righteousness. He gave me that righteousness. So we can confess, and that's not a bad thing to do, but unless we take it to completion in the gospel, it's just not complete. Does that make sense? When he was like, even confession, I was like, wait a second. Like, we talk about confession all the time and how good that is. But when we, when I drew that out a little bit more, then I was like, yes, like, that makes sense to me. We can say, oh, I confess that I did this, I confess that I did this. But until we can see the fullness of the gospel in that Jesus took it on the cross and gave us the right, like, his righteousness, it's just not complete. And so... Um, Yeah, just something that I was contemplating on. What kinds of things do I do outside of the cross to try to make it okay to enter into the presence with with the Lord? And another sweet thing from that passage, we weren't washed with water like the priests were, but we were washed with the blood of Christ. And it wasn't, it's not a continual thing. It was a one and done, a one and done thing now. And he now sits that the, um, one of those verses says that he sits down because the sacrifice is done. I think it was interesting a couple of weeks ago, or maybe just last week, Rebecca talked about how there's only one seat in the tabernacle because there's always something to be done, like always work to be done. Well, Jesus did it, he's done, and now he sits at the, the right hand of God, which I think is a really cool um, symbolism in the tabernacle, having studied the tabernacle um, and now, from now on, the law is written on our hearts and it's written in our minds from the Holy Spirit. Now, not perfectly. We're not going to live that out perfectly, but it's in us. It's in me. It's because of the Spirit that will convict us and teach us and make us more holy like, like Christ and, and the fact that he remembers our sins no more and, and that we don't have to go through that daily. I mean, it would be like these Hebrew women's would, women would sacrifice. They would take two steps out. Maybe go the rest of the day with their families and be like, "Oh crap, I better go back tomorrow because of this, 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 and this." And um, that probably was a bit exhausting. And now we can just go freely to the Lord in that. And I like, uh, how much that, do we get to to praise the Lord for that? And so, um, what does this mean for us today? One, share the gospel with yourself, like with ourselves. I think. That has become kind of a term that we've been starting to use over and over at least I feel like it has been um is to yeah to share the gospel with yourself that it should drive us um to holiness to living more in line with with God and um and then I think also First Peter, if we go back to the last study that we did, First Peter 2.9 talks about how that we are a royal priesthood. And so, in a sense, we are like priests to each other, to the world, because we've been giving, given that righteousness because of Jesus. So, how do we do that? Um, we, the priest's role, if you remember, is to keep incense burning and keep the light on, right? And so, Rebecca talked about it last week, how do we be a light and I think as I've listened to different sermons and, and thought about this, it's not necessarily that you do some outrageous, huge thing for the Lord. Maybe that's what the Lord is asking you to do. But I think what was more challenging for me is in the daily life, like be faithful. I remember Mark, I don't know how long ago, he was like, just show up. Just be faithful. And that will lead to a lifetime of being priestly to other people and and so for us it 's at, at our home in our home with our children with um, our husbands, with our roommates, whoever um, it 's at work working with excellence and doing things well and um, and being trustworthy it 's when we 're at play you know and, and sacrificing for the right things like out of love and out of um, instead of out that obligation and so um, and then the incense um, on, gonna, incense it was known for um, as like prayers being lifted up to the Lord. Uh, I wanted to share one psalm. Oops, Psalms then proverbs. Mm-hmm. Psalm one forty one two says, "I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. And so just that um, idea, oops, 141 too there. I was like, well, that didn't really make sense. (laughs) Okay. It says, may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Um, And so are we women of of prayer? Like, let's be prayer warriors. Prayer to me is tough. (laughs) It's not like a natural thing for me. And so... I think if we can just practice it, it's we're going to see God do amazing things. And, and to pray expectantly and pray big things for ourselves, for our family, for our church, for our community. And pray expectantly that God's going to do it, that God's going to do do great things. And I think if we do that, then, then we're going to see God move. And we're going to see that lifetime of faithfulness just be built in our lives and in our families' lives. So Rebecca suggested that I, um, read this blog that she found. Um, and it's just a fun, like tie on the whole tabernacle. It's just a, it's taken from this guy named John Phillips exploring Hebrews commentary. And so it's just kind of a story form, um, of what the tabernacle was like from an outsider perspective, from a Moabite, actually. And so, yeah, you can just listen and then we'll break into small groups. It says, let's see. Imagine with me a Moabite of old gazing down upon the tabernacle of Israel from some lofty hillside. This Moabite is attracted to what he sees, so he descends the hill and makes his way toward the tabernacle. He walks around this high wall of dazzling linen until he comes to a gate, and at the gate he sees a man. May I go in there, he asks, pointing to the gate where all the bustle of the activity in the tabernacle's outer outer court can be seen. Who are you, demands the man suspiciously. I'm from Moab, the stranger replies. Well, I'm very sorry, but you can't go in there. You see, it's not for you. The law of Moses has barred the Moabite from any part in the worship of Israel until his tenth generation. The Moabite looked so sad and said, Well, what would I have to do? What would I have to do to go in there? And the gatekeeper replies, You would have to be born again. You would have to be born an Israelite of the tribe of Judah or of the tribe of Benjamin or Dan. Oh, how I wish I had been born an Israelite, the Moabite says. As he looks again, he sees one of the priests having offered a sacrifice at the brazen, al- brazen altar, and the priest cleansed himself at the brazen laver. And then the Moabite sees the priest enter the tabernacle's interior. What's in there? he asks the, Mo- the Moabite. Inside the main building, I mean. Oh, the gatekeeper says, that's the tabernacle itself. "'Inside it contained a lampstand, a table, and an altar of gold. "'The man that you saw was a priest. "'He will trim the, trim the lamp, eat the bread upon the table, "'and burn incense to the living God upon the golden altar.'" "'Ah,' oh, sighs the Moabite, "'I wish I were an Israelite so that I could go do that. "'I would so love to worship God in there "'and, and help to trim the lamp and offer him incense "'and eat bread at that table.'" Oh, no," the gatekeeper hastens to say, "Even I could not do that. To worship in the holy place, one must not be born one must not only be born an Israelite, one must be born of the tribe of Levi and of the family of Aaron." The man from Moab, Moab sighs again, "I wish I had been born of Israel, of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron." And then, as he gazes wistfully at the closed tabernacle door, he says, "What else is in there?" Oh, there's a veil. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful veil from what I'm told. And it divides the tabernacle into. two. Beyond the veil is what we call the most holy place, the holy of holies. What's in the holy of holies, the Moabite asks. Well, there's the sacred chest in there, and it's called the Ark of the Covenant. It contains holy memorials of our past. Its top is gold, and we call that the mercy seat because God sits there between the golden cherubim. Do you see that pillar of cloud hovering over the tabernacle? That's the Shekinah glory cloud. It rests on the mercy. It rests on the mercy, the gatekeeper said. Again, a long look of longing comes over the face of the Moabite man. Oh, he said, if only I were a priest. How I would love to go into the Holy of Holies and gaze upon the glory of God and worship him there and in the beauty of his holiness. Oh, no, the man, said the man at the gate. You couldn't do that even if you were a priest. Only the high priest can enter the most holy place. Only he can go in there, nobody else. The heart of the man from Moab yearns once more. Oh, he cried. If only I had been born an Israelite of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron. If only I had been born a high priest. I would go in there every day. I would go in there three times a day. I would worship continually in the Holy of Holies. The gatekeeper looked at the man from Moab again and once more shook his head. Oh, now, he said, you couldn't do... You couldn't do that. Even the high priest of Israel can go, can go in there only once a year, and then only after the most elaborate preparations, and even only for a little while. Sadly, the Moabite turned away. He had no hope in all the world of ever entering there. Hebrews 10:19 through 22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith. Here it is, a tremendous word of welcome, extended to Jew and Gentile alike, to come on in and worship not to the holiest place of the human tabernacle, but into the holy of holies in heaven itself by the blood of Jesus. Um, I'll pray for us and then we can break into our small groups and kind of break it down a little bit more.